Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. And today is Thursday, May 16th, 2019. Thank you to all of our listeners, old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How are you? I'm well. Do you know what we missed yesterday? What? National Chocolate Chip Cookie Day. What? I know. I don't know oh. how it passed me by. Oh, you need to put that on your calendar now so it pops up with like a reminder a few days in advance. I've said this before, but I need one of those calendars that does the National Whatever Day. Oh, I actually have a whole book. It's National Whatever Food Product Day. Really? There's something to make about it. Yeah, I think, well, ooh, gosh, unless it went in the purge, but I think I still have it. I'll have to look for that. Yeah, I need to borrow But it. some of them are kind of random. Yes, I'm I mean, sort of selective. Yeah. Like, I don't need them all. No. Just the ones I like. Yeah. Chocolate chip cookies. Well, you can celebrate today. I can. That would be appropriate because it's a rainy day here in San Francisco, and I'm pretty sure that my younger son's playoff game is going to be rained out. Darn. I'm certain it's going to be <laughs> rained out. I know. I can't really. And chocolate chip cookies would surely cheer him up. This is true. So they're not playing on turf? Because I have sat through baseball games in the rain. I'm not sitting through this baseball game. Oh, okay. He might still be playing it, though. He may. In so. which case, I will greet him at home with a plate of warm chocolate, <laughs> chocolate chip cookies. cookies. Good plan. All right. So this episode, we have many, many sections. We have our usual on the needles, on the easel, on the table, on the nightstand. And we have a little brief on the road section and also on your mark. And that will be at the end, so you have to wait to find out what that is going to be about. So we should probably get started on the needles. Have two finished objects. Very exciting. Amazing. Yes. Well, one of them is the baby sweater, which is working on forever. So <laughs> good thing that was done. Um, I posted a picture of that yesterday. And it's so sweet. It's so cute. I was really pleased. It ended up putting little owl buttons on them. Um, They're kind of gray and blue. And the sweater was gray, so they don't pop a ton, but they're really, it's but they're cute. It's very, it's very mellow, kind of classic. And I had some leftover owl grosgrain ribbon that I used on the backing to, um, it's a technique that I learned from the Knitmore girls. They do a, it's an actual video. I think it's a video they have posted about how to put um, ribbon to help stabilize the buttons and you use backing buttons with your knitwear. Well, that's cool. So I've been doing that on my sweaters and even the baby sweaters. It just helps keep them, especially this one. The owls have, they don't have holes in them. They have the hook thing on the back. Yeah. I forget what that's called. So The shank. The shank. So there's not really any way to, not anything to attach it to really. Right. right. Especially on knitwear. So having the ribbon and a backing button really stabilizes the whole thing. Um, and I ended up picking those partially because they fit in the buttonholes, but I do really like them. <laughs> so I was pleased with that. And that was the Playtime Sweater by Laura Versace um, in the Three Irish Girls Adorned Sock in Smoke on the Water. Um, so that, that Bravo! Was, and that was delivered, I think, yesterday. So Oh, and it's even in the mail. It's Thursday. even at its location, yeah. yeah. So I think, hopefully. I mean, that's what the post office told me, so. We will, we will choose to believe them until notified otherwise. And then the other one I finished, actually I started it as well, um, was another cowl in my Alaska series. My family's going to Alaska on a cruise this summer. So I made for my sister's birthday, 
I made her a cowl in um, an orca colorway. And then there was another one. These are all from Desert Vista Dye Works in their DK base. Sorry, in her DK base. Um, so this was the Hubbard Glacier colorway. So this was all blues and greens. And I think there's probably white and gray in there as well. And this one was for my mom. I made it for Mother's Day. Um, and I kind of based it on the Land of Sweets pattern by Helen Stewart. She designed that one for um, like an advent kit where mm -hmm. you get like 24 different colors of yeah. sock yarn. So it's had many more patterns, was much bigger. So I just pulled out one of the patterns and I did kind of the beginning and the ending um, and fewer stitches as well because DK versus fingering for bigger yarn versus smaller yarn. Um, so it turned out nice. Uh, so we will each, and then <laughs> I will hopefully get around to making one for myself. I have another skein of striping yarn that um, is for me. I just need to knit that up, find in a pattern and, and knit that up. And we'll all have cows for our trip to Alaska. That's awesome. I find it amusing and entertaining. Um, and they seem to like them <laughs> as well. So, Well, yeah. So, and I feel like you do need some knitwear if you're going to go to Alaska. Absolutely. Um, and then I worked on the socks a little bit. I'm actually, actually, I finished one except for the heel, so I need to start the second one. And then I've been working on my little bird sweater in the lace weight yard oh. because of all the hockey watching, because the Sharks and the Bruins are still in it. Hopefully they are both still in it by the time this releases. Uh, the Bruins are looking pretty good. Sharks are a little dicey. But either way, I get a good three hours of TV watching and knitting in, although... That is very exciting. I do have to put it down a little bit when the, when the craziness, yeah. the overtime mm -hmm. and final minutes ticking away. So, um, But yeah, so I'm about maybe three quarters done with the body and then I'll have the sleeves to go. So I'm thinking I'm going away this weekend, so I might take that on my trip because it's pretty light. Even though it's a sweater, it's in lace weight yarn, so it's pretty lightweight, so it doesn't take up a lot of space. And then I can make some more progress on it. Good. So I am moving right along and kind of trying to figure out what else I'm going to tackle next. I have a couple of things that I do need to get to, but, um, you know, what my next sweater will be and all that imaginary knitting is starting to happen. So, so we shall see. Fun. Yeah. I knit like two whole rows. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Very good. I said I was going to make try to make... A little progress in the month of May. For me made May. For me made May. And I, actually it was more like six rows. But I did finish that cardigan out of the black jersey that oh, I great. made. And I um, finished that sweater that I was altering. It was a, oh, right, right. it was a machine, I think it's machine knit, but it's that really beautiful sweater that I found on sale that was a little too boxy. And I took it in. Mm -hmm. on my sewing machine nice. and did like a stretch stitch because I do not have a serger. I'm so happy with it. It came out great. Oh, good. And it's a short sleeve sweater and the sleeve has like a little bit of a roll, but it's so thin it's not like a thick roll cuff. And I think it'll be great for summer. Yeah, it seems like a good travel kind of mm -hmm. thing when you just need a little bit extra for air conditioning and yeah, going in. Yeah. yeah. So cool. I made progress. Excellent. Very good. Um, and then I wanted to do a little quick on the road. I went to see the Immigrant Yarn Project here in the city. I posted a picture of that as well. It was small. Totally fascinating, though. Um, it is out at Fort Point, which is an old Civil War fort, maybe? Anyway, it's underneath the Golden Gate Bridge. Not Civil War. Pre-Civil War, I guess. It's been there a long time. Really? Yep. Pretty sure. Anyway, so old fort. 
the curator collected squares of yarn and there were some were crocheted there were some woven mostly knit and she made them all into these giant blankets um, or i don't know if she did but someone did um, and they're all displayed and they were <clears throat> meant to reflect your immigrant heritage and whatever story you wanted to tell and they were just amazing and beautiful and some i think people had gotten together with their knitting group and actually made their own blanket a lot of them i think were just squares that they put together um, there was one that I really liked that was sort of a foresty one and someone had made a little nest with a little bird in it and there was a tree on that as well um, it was just really beautiful and it's a the location is really interesting I'm not sure how it ended up there uh, Fort Point is part of the National Park System from there you can see Angel Island which was kind of the Ellis mm. Island of the West so it's Maybe that's the part of, yeah. You can't see it from inside the fort, but if you go up on the roof, you can see the whole bay. Fort Point does, is right at the entrance to the bay, so kind of that gateway. Uh, and so it was really interesting, and I think most people were there just to be tourists and see the, the fort. It's features in Vertigo, so I think a lot of people go there for that, and some people for the history, and it's a really cool view, but, you know, there were definitely people that were intrigued by what was going on with that and, and to check it out. This uh, weekend is the last weekend that it will be there, so I was really glad I got a, a chance to see it. I loved the pieces in your photos that were, that looked like almost cruel, cruel work or, you know, like a thick, thicker knitting on top of knitting and then the tassels mm -hmm. and all the texture yeah, really was, came through. There was a lot of interesting things. There was one that was all pom-poms. Oh, fine. So you didn't even need to be a knitter. You could just make pom-poms um, and do it. So that was, yeah. So I was really, I really enjoyed getting to see that. That was good. All right. What else is on the easel? Well, um, I did the art supply sale. Yes. Speaking of easels. And it went really, really well. You know, it was through, our kids go to a, a Catholic school, which has a parish associated with it. And it was sort of like um, Renaissance Church because there was a bake sale happening in the gym and then there was like this little marketplace of art supplies and people were coming off the streets and it was awesome. It was such a, a joy to get these art supplies that were donated to our school into the hands of as many people as I could. And personally, I bought myself a proper easel. Nice. And I'm really happy to report that because it has changed the landscape of my studio. I had a desk easel that I was using to just for the oil paintings that were drying, you know, because they need to dry for several days mm -hmm. if they're on paper and even longer if they're on anything else. And um, so I wasn't really using my easel. I bought a big easel from the art sale and moved it into my studio and it's it's very cool and a little bit intimidating but I'm gonna do a big seascape on it oh, fine. first and christen the easel Excellent. like that the other thing that I picked up from the art sale was I saw this as an opportunity to use materials that I normally maybe wouldn't try and so I bought a set of Holbein pastels which are oil pastels, and they're like little pencil diameter-ish squares, sticks, and they're probably only three and a half inches long, maybe even shorter. And I used them for the first time last night, and the 
texture is like a buttery crayon. They work really beautifully with gouache and with watercolor because they resist. And it's something I never, I don't think I would have picked up unless I took a class. But I love the smell of them. <laughs> and I'm, I'm really just enjoying that. So the pastels will be a little bit of an adventure for me. I am moving forward on the 100-day project. I'm on purple, which somebody, uh, you know, one of my favorite things about this project is painting the houses in our city. And people, when I first started doing the house paintings, a lot of our friends were texting me like, oh, there's this crazy house over here on Judah and whatever, and you got to take a picture of it or check out my uncle's house over here. He's got a tomato red house. And so that's died off a little bit, the enthusiasm for it. But I am even more into the house painting. Did you find a purple one? Oh, yeah. I have found more purple houses. Really? There's a great one right up the street from you. Right next door to it is a really green house. They're right next to each other. And they look awesome together. But the day that I photographed them, the last time I was here, it was super hazy. And so the purple looks really gray. Today, the light's better, so I'm hoping I can re-photograph it and try it again. <laughs> so that's going, that's moving along. And then the thing that, now that the art supply sale is over with, I'm attempting, I started last night, to do some abstract work. Because the point of the 100 chromatics for me is to explore my use of color and and just paying more attention to color in general and how colors talk to each other when they're paired. And so hopefully that will help impact my abstracts. Abstracts for me are really hard because I like to paint from life, but I think it'll be a good exercise. So that's what I've been working on. Nice. Did you figure out, sorry, have you used the Holbein ones yet? I used them last night for the first time. Yeah. And what did you use them for? Um, for the first of the abstracts. Oh, okay. Sorry. They, um, I, I take that back. I did try them. I painted a pink bird of a spoonbill. Oh, okay. Like a week and a half ago. And after I painted the spoonbill, I used the pastel to see what would happen if I colored the background with the pastel. And I didn't like it because mm. it was like two different textures going on. And I would love to be more adept at that, but I think I just need to play with these pastels more and see what they can do. You can thin them out with a little mineral spirits, and so they lay down more like paint, and they lose some of that crayon texture. But I'm not, I mean, I'm so new to it, I don't really trust myself to, you know, make a plan for them. Like, I can plan for gouache, but I <laughs> cannot make a plan for the pastels. It'll be more like, huh. That's interesting. Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Isn't yeah. that what the French say when they don't like something? Oh, that's interesting. It could be. <laughs> All right. On the table. What have you been cooking? What have I been cooking? I have been on a dessert kick. Well, then. So I've just been deserting my way through <laughs> Smitten Kitchen every day dessert section. So that's been fun. A little, a little crazy. Your kids must be thrilled. Uh, my husband's thrilled, too. Okay. It was funny because when we first got together many years ago, 
I was definitely a dessert fiend. Sugar was totally my thing. Always have to have dessert. And he was never that into it. And it has definitely switched. He is always like, what's for dessert? I'm like, nah, I don't know. I don't care. There might be some cookies in there. <laughs> so, and my kids, when they were little, medium little, and we were trying to get them to be more adventurous in their eating, I totally bribed them with dessert. It wasn't yeah. a total bribe. It was, eat this. This is dessert you get. And then if you eat more, maybe there'll be more dessert. <laughs> thing. But this is the minimum you have to eat. And then we can talk about dessert and you can eat it or not. Anyway, that's a whole other segment. But yeah, so I've been on a dessert kick. So I made, well, I made, I finally found rhubarb. Oh my gosh. Where did you find it? At our corner market. Okay, I was just making sure you didn't pick it from someone's yard or... (laughs) No, that would be interesting. No, I went, I had to go to the post office and then I was like, oh, let me just check the market. And they had it and it was beautiful looking, super red. Fun. And they had strawberries. So I was like, all right, guess I'm buying it now and making it tonight. Um, and it was delicious, and it was all gone. We finished it for breakfast the next morning. So, And it was not a full breakfast. There was only a little bit left. We- Cobbler for breakfast is an excellent idea. It's great. It's the best. Cobbler pie, anything. Yeah. I mean, cake. We'll do cake, too, really. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that was that was good. And I did not manage to get vanilla. I always seem to forget the vanilla ice cream now for some reason. I like to have a little... The vanilla ice cream melting into the, mm-hmm. the warm yeah. cobbler. Yeah, it's delicious. So that one is not from Smitten Kitchen. That one is um, from Fields of Greens by somebody who I put in the show notes. I want to say Annie Somerville, but I'm not sure that's right. And that's the one I always use. There's a lot of cream in her cobbler topping, so it's pretty delicious. Um, so then from Smitten Kitchen, I made banana rolls. So it's like a banana cake. And then you roll it up with a cream cheese frosting in the middle. It was delicious. It was slightly problematic. I don't know if I didn't cook it long enough because... Did it split? No, but it was really sticky hmm. um, because you... Did you use gluten-free flour? I did. That might be why. That could be it. But I was also wondering because you take it out of the pan and you roll it in parchment paper so that as it cools, it has that shape and then it doesn't split, mm-hmm. I guess is the theory. But I'm thinking it felt as though the condensation as it was cooling uh, would make it stick to the parchment paper. So I'm not quite sure what happened there. So trying to, once I unrolled it and put the cream cheese on and then re-rolled it, it was totally sticking to the parchment. Maybe you could butter the parchment paper. I think I put um, canola spray on it. Maybe butter would work better. And you Butter put, is always Well, better. yeah, this is true. <laughs> and you put... Uh, Sorry, vegans. Powdered sugar on there as well to help with the stickiness. Mm. So there were definitely ideas in there to help combat that. It just didn't seem to work for me. And I felt like it needed more frosting. It was a very thin layer of frosting. Although then you roll it up so you get more of it. It felt like it needed a little bit more. But it was delicious and it, again, went very quickly. And that one didn't taste... I don't know that you could have told it was gluten-free. Oh, that's good. It was good. And I think part of it is that it was thin anyway. I mean, it's supposed to be thin because it's right. a roll, so it didn't. Yeah. Sometimes they're a little dense if they're a more traditional layer cake, but that was good. And then last night we had a lemon meringue pie smash. <laughs> you really are. I am. It's completely <laughs> ridiculous. Also, all the meringues, because this involved meringue too. Mm-hmm. And before, last time I had the strawberry cloud cookies and the chocolate pavlova. So this was just plain old meringue. Just make a slab of it, bake it off. Crumble it up, mix it with lemon curd and whipped cream. Um, and she has a recipe for her own lemon curd, which 
I said, no, that's not going to happen. and just bought some. But I did whipped cream. And she said, you don't put any sugar in that because it needs to combat the sweetness of the meringue and the lemon curd. And the idea is that it tastes like a lemon meringue pie, but not quite so complicated. And that was really good, too. Did you use anything in your meringue? This one had cream of tartar. Okay. And, regu- and granulated sugar, regular sugar. Granulated sugar, not powdered sugar. And there is some product, I forget what it's called. It might be like a powdered egg white with something in it that is really common in Australia, I guess. Because the last time I was talking to someone about, oh, I know what it was. One of the kids did a project. They did like the countries project. Mm-hmm. And one of the kids picked um, New Zealand. And one of the desserts in New Zealand is a pavlova. And so I made it, and he brought it in, and there was an Australian kid in his class, and she called foul on his pavlova Hmm. and said, this is not like my mom's at all. Your mom (laughs) did it wrong. And my kid was, like, really upset about it. And then she told him, "There's, you need to tell her there's this product. And I... I mean, I never followed through on it, but it sticks in my mind every time we talk about No, this meringue. was just egg whites and sugar and... And it was perfectly suitable pav- or meringue. Yeah, okay. and, and in the, the pavlova, I didn't, or the chocolate one that I make, I didn't use cream of tartar or in the cookies. I don't know. That's really interesting. I wonder what it could be. I've heard of it before. I think it's like just some kind of egg white powder that you, it just stabilizes everything. Hmm. It probably is like egg white powder with a little bit of cream of tartar in it. Or maybe it's just a different name for cream of tartar? Maybe. I don't know. Hmm. I'll have to circle we'll back. To investigate, this yeah. was like three years ago, so. No. Okay. Australian. But it's way in. I know. Actually, I do have an Australian friend. I'll have to ask her. But I, it, I find it interesting that it would make it taste that different, that she would. I don't know that it was a taste. I think it was a texture thing. That it would make it that. Like, it was still pretty high. It was like two inches high. Yeah, I don't know. My kids are really fond of that, though. The Nathan calls it the chocolate one, like a brown, yeah. a cloud brownie. Oh, you know, because yeah. it's so airy and yeah, delicious. Mm-hmm. Little chocolate bits in it, so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then for cooking, I was proud of myself again. I did like a batch of chicken, and so I served that one night. And we had polenta with mushrooms and cheese. That was really good. And then last night, I made it into a Chinese chicken salad. So good with tofu and no little crunchy noodles for some of us. Mm-hmm. Although again, like best laid plans, pouring rain last night and we're having salad. Yeah, I was not expecting cold in May. That's the only time when cold my my winging it grocery plan works. <laughs> this is <laughs> you true. know yeah. like oh I was gonna make salad tonight. Oh well, definitely not. Yeah. I did think about switching it, but I didn't. Yeah. Because it's raining again, so that wouldn't really have helped me to switch nights. So tonight is paella. Ooh, fun. That'll be good. Excellent. How about you? I have a weird little assortment of recipes to tell you about. Excellent. One of the warmer days last week, I made an inappropriately, (laughs) or off, you know, like it was a warm night and I wanted to use up some cruciferous vegetables and made a broccoli and cauliflower gratin Mm. and I had one of those moments I made it in I have a um a Dutch oven that's like a I don't know what size it is it's like not very deep what do you think four quarts sure sure um and I thought we've outgrown this Dutch oven 
And then one of the kids was doing something and the other one didn't want it anyway. And my other thought was, these kids are going to be in college in six years. I should just keep this because it's the perfect size for us. You know, it was just this yeah. funny little moment. So the broccoli and cauliflower gratin, I think, is an Ina Garten recipe okay. that I have altered to include cauliflower, basically. And you parblanche the vegetables and then make a, like a gruyere and Parmesan cheese sauce. And I go really light on this and add a little chicken stock to it so it's not super cheesy. And it has a little bit of breadcrumb, panko breadcrumb on top and some lemon zest. Um, and I bake it off in the oven with the lid off. And it's, it's a really filling, satisfying entree, I think. I didn't have any protein with it. I had a little side salad. Well, it's got all the cheese. Right. And then I made, because while you are watching Sharks, we are watching Warriors Uh, in the playoffs. And I made a buffalo chicken ring, which is like straight off of a Pillsbury package, I think. And it's the crescent roll dough, basically, Mm -hmm. with a chicken filling. Oh. And it's chicken with... Cream cheese and Frank's red sauce, red hot sauce. And I would put, um, I would put a ton of green onion in there, but my Mm. children revolt. So it's... Could you do it in half? Ooh, I could. I'm going to do that next time. Yeah. Or chives or it needs a little something in there. I only ever make this for the Super Bowl. It's totally my Super Bowl. I was going to say, it Mm -hmm. sounds like a very sporting event. Yeah. But it's one of those things that you can like cut a piece of and then take it upstairs to the TV that yes. kind of thing so very popular that sounds delicious hands you know handheld food not the healthiest i did i forgot to egg wash it this time and it came out fine so that yeah. is a step that can go the wayside i don't know it it didn't it doesn't ever last yeah. so that was fun and then i made some salmon and i forgot to make the accompanying olive butter. But I want to talk about the olive butter because I've made it a hundred times before. What I usually do is take a good hunk of butter and a handful of Kalamata olives that I dry off on a paper towel and a big bunch of parsley and put it all in the food processor and it makes like an olive butter paste. Mm -hmm. And then I put a little bit on the fish and it is so delicious. And that is a I think I got that recipe 15 or 16 years ago out of Bon Appetit, and I love it. But it's great for the summer. I don't know. It feels summery because of the parsley. Oh, yeah. I'd say it'd be good on chicken, too. It Definitely could, it'd be good on everything. And yeah. last night, I made scallops, and I was oh. wishing... Actually, would it go on scallops? I don't know. I was wishing I, I like had scallop flavor. Yeah, I kept them really simple. Yeah, but um, miso butter. Ooh, there's a missed opportunity. I will do scallops again. I found them at Costco. Oh, do you do the big they, ones or the? I did the big ocean scallops, mm-hmm. and I did fresh ones because the frozen they want you to buy. I don't know three joy. pounds. Yeah. It's a lot of scallops. And it's just the two of us who eat scallops. So the fresh ones, it was a mod- a more modest package. Oh, okay. They were beautiful. Oh. They cook in three minutes, you know, a minute and a half on either side. Very satisfying. 
really light, even if you cook them in a little bit of butter, mm -hmm. you know, they're really lean and they were delicious and such a treat. We never, ever do that. Yeah. So that was really fun. That. I have not made them in a while. The only thing that I, I didn't get them to be as, you know, how you can get a really great crust on either right. side. And I don't know if that's because I held back a little bit on the butter because I wanted them a little mm -hmm. bit lighter or if I needed to like salt and pepper them a little bit more, like more seasoning. It feels like it would be just a heat thing. You just have Maybe. to have it hot enough to really sear it, but I don't know. I don't cook them often enough to know what that yeah. temperature would be. This was a very, um, I'm very happy that I attempted them. It was a, yeah. it was a, you know, because they're a little bit pricier. It was definitely less than I would have paid at the Whole Foods or anywhere else, but it and was just the two little, of you. So. Yeah, it was just the two of us. And, okay. and no matter how much bribing for dessert, they would not try <laughs> those scallops. Interesting. I think they're intimidating, but you can eat the whole thing. I mean, they're like perfect. Yeah. yeah. So not wasteful, you know, when you can eat the whole thing. Yeah. Delicious. Mm -hmm. Delicious. Because while your it's husband is vegetarian, he is eating shellfish, correct? No yeah, shellfish. No shellfish. Well, we're still waiting. We're still waiting for the Christmas Eve lobster feast uh, verdict, but the rest of us will be eating shellfish. Then. No, he is currently not eating animal-based proteins of any kind. May I give a quick report about these produce reusable produce bags? Yes, please. So, the beginning of the year, one of my goals was to eat more vegetables and to be more mindful about these plastic produce bags that are ubiquitous and so I bought the reusable mesh ones off of Amazon and they came and I have a bunch of them in my my bags for the grocery store and they're in a couple different sizes and I have noticed that my produce doesn't I mean I try to eat the produce pretty quickly anyway but things definitely wilt faster in the mesh Interesting. bags because they're mesh. They don't keep the humidity out like the plastic does. So my quick fix for this for right now is, you know, I have some plastic ones and I just slide the reusable ones into a plastic one in the drawer. And I just keep those plastic oh, okay. ones. I'm not reusing them or I'm, I just leave them in there and reuse them to kind of protect the produce but I'm not bringing new plastic into the house. Right. So they just need that extra shield, I think, for my finicky refrigerator, which is a whole other rant. Yeah, that's that's where that is. Cool. So if you were looking at produce bags, and just keep that in mind, that perhaps it's not a one-step answer. It's a, you gotta be a little bit more. And how many of those did you get? I have about a dozen and that seems to be perfect. Okay. What happens is, you know, like I had beets in one and then the beet greens were a little bit slimy and so I put them in the hand wash and then then they come back downstairs a day or two later. So a couple of them are always being laundered if they if they need to be. Some of them I just shake out and reuse again, you know, take them to the market and I keep here in San Francisco you have to shop with reusable shopping bags anyway and so I just keep six or eight of them in each of my main shopping bags and they it just works great right cool yeah 
on the nightstand. What have you been reading? I have been reading crazy things. Okay, tell us all about it. So the first one is called Flights by Olga Tokarczuk. Um, sure. Sure. She's Polish. And this was written in 2007 um, and translated last year by Jennifer Croft. And it won the Man Booker International Prize, which is for works in translation. So I think that's why I picked it up. It was weird. <laughs> the writing was beautiful. There was no plot at all. It was Was it character driven? No. It was little vignettes and then about three or four um like really short stories. So there was a little bit of connectedness. Yeah, and there was a it was thematic. So travel and identity and your sense of self. Your the first your shirt expression is well priceless yeah. because you're really um yeah, and and I was like, well, yeah, I mean, it won it won the Booker Prize, right? So that's there's got to be something there, and and the writing was beautiful, and it was really interesting, and the vignettes. I was reading it on my Kindle, so I mean, like they would be one Kindle page. I'm not sure how long it was, you know, like it comes up a minute left in the chapter, like one or two Kindle pages, because it was just a page at a time, because they would each have a, a little title, so that was kind of what kept you going. Because you're like, oh, one more page, one more page, one more, you know, one more chapter, one more chapter. But then once you put it down, there's no plot or character to get back to. So it, oh. it was hard for me to get back to get back it. to it. Yeah. I'm like, there's got to be, you know, eventually there's got to be something going on. But no, the vignette, the short story at the beginning, you did revisit them at the very end. But you never saw those characters in between the however many real pages it was. It was mysterious. It was, it was, it was interesting. I didn't dislike it. I didn't, but I don't know how I really... How to categorize it for someone else, yeah. It's kind of, I guess, like a writer's book. I mean, just because it is so much about the language. Mm -hmm. And the themes are are interesting. Did it feel more like poetry? eh, I guess in the sense that it is thematic. Yeah. Um, But it was definitely prose. Um, So there was a, a story about the doctor that discovered the Achilles tendon. So a lot of stuff about doctors and scientists and research into the, how the human body works. And then a lot of stuff about travel and how you change going from one place to another. I don't, I don't know that I wouldn't recommend it. I don't know that I would recommend it. It's, it's, it, was, it was beautiful, but not a traditional kind of story. So that was interesting. So then after that, I needed to have a palate cleanser. <laughs> so I went with In an Absent Dream by Seanan McGuire. This is the fourth book in a series. They're all pretty much standalone, very loosely interconnected. And this one less so than the others. So she is a fantasy writer. I think, I don't know if this particular one has won a Hugo Award, but her others have, or at least been nominated. Um, they're very short, probably I would call them novellas. And they feature children that have gone to other worlds and come back. Because no one ever looks at what happens when you come back, right? Like, and these kids are messed up. And a lot of them want to go back to their worlds, but they've been kicked out. So it's kind of mm. what's going on there. So the, the girl who's the heroine, she finds a door to the goblin market. And it, everyone finds a world that is perfect for them. So if you're very, if you love rules, you'll find a very rule-driven world. Or if you are very chaotic or artistic or, you know, there, there's different worlds for everyone. So she finds that there's a lot of rules in this world. And the goblin market, you have to always, there's no money. Everything is barter, but you always have to give fair value. If you don't, the market will autocorrect. 
for your mistake. And you have to then, you know, rectify that. And she goes back and forth and she has, when you turn 18, you have to have chosen if you're going to go stay in this world or not. Um, so it's kind of her story. Um, so it's really, interesting. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, it's pretty much straight up fantasy, but they, she always has these themes that she explores through the kind of worlds that the kids end up in. So this one was, yeah, what, it, what is fair value? You know, how do mm-hmm. you, if you have to treat people well, is that a better thing? Or, you know, are you not learning things? What is it? How does it all work? So that one, and again, that's a pretty short book. So I really like those. I like all of her. She has some other books that I haven't read yet. Um, I think she has a couple of different names that she writes under, but I really like this. It's the Wayward Children series. Mm, I have heard of that. Yeah. And then I've started two books. I started Overstory by Richard Powers, which you which have I read. Adore. Which is the tree one. I'm on the second story. So they're all different stories. Are they, do they end up being interconnected mm-hmm. at all? They do. Okay. So this all, it involves trees. Yes. <laughs> Stories about trees, families around trees, um, but I'm only on the second one of that. It, I think I described it like, it's like the natural history of trees, mm-hmm. tree evolution or tree advocacy in America. Oh, okay. Something like that. Yeah. So I'm only on the second tree. So nobody's connected yet. So I'm interested to see, but I decided to put that one on hold because it, that one's on my Kindle. And like I said, I'm traveling this weekend. So I wanted to make sure that I didn't finish that and that I had a full book to read mm-hmm. on my trip. So I also started Black Leopard, Red Wolf by Marlon James. Oh my gosh, it's pretty dark. Yes. So did you start it? Well, we almost bought it for oh. our 15 year old. Oh, and this is a grown up people's book. <laughs> We sat down. So we have um, one of his other books, The Brief History of Seven Killings. Mm -hmm. And my husband self-censored on that one and was like, this is too much for me. I heard a great interview with him talking about it. And he he sounded so upbeat about it and was talking, comparing it to Game of Thrones meets Black Panther and... And so I looked into it for our teenager and started reading the reviews about how violent it was. And therefore, we've decided that it's probably a lot like The Brief History of Seven Killings. And we are not the target audience for that book. So I'm sorry that you are... (laughs) Yeah, no, I really... I'm not terribly far into it. It is a big book. It is dense. And I'm really enjoying the narrative voice. It's definitely, I think, set in kind of an African fantasy world. Like a utopia? Yeah. Not, a, not a utopia. It's fairly, it's a harsh world, but based on, you know, there's a lot more magic and but kind of a tribal African society world. But yeah, <laughs> really dark. So we'll see. But then I was flipping through it. There seems to be a lot of, there's a lot of maps further into the book. Mm-hmm. And so that always... I always enjoy maps. Yeah, and me too. Lists of characters at the beginning. Uh, the main character seems to be, it starts off, he's sitting in prison and he's telling his tale to the Inquisitor. And so it's it's written in a very vocal storytelling kind of voice. So that's a little different. I'm enjoying that. Oh, um, good. I can't wait to hear what you So think. there's things that I'm enjoying. Yeah. So you're but forging is, ahead. Yeah, I'm going to keep going with it for a little bit longer and see see how I feel about it because hmm. I did make it through Game of Thrones I, you know. yeah me too so it is it's definitely harsh and I've read 
plenty of harsh things. And I, you know, there's, I think there's a lot of interesting storytelling going on in there. So I want to, yeah, to experience that. So, yeah. And that is it for me. How about you? Well, I forget where I left off last week, but I don't know where I saw the recommendation. And I have never read Colleen Hoover before. I, it must have come through my library list and I picked up Verity. I have two words to describe this book, and then I shall move on. Oh, okay. It is quick, and it is dirty. All right, then. <laughs> and I... Is it a summer read? Yeah, but it's 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 kind of dark, too. Oh, okay. So if that's your thing, I, don't, I hadn't really read anything of hers before at all. So her psychological thriller genre is a little bit new to me. I also sort of binge read slash listened to the book three and four of the Cormoran Strike series by Robert Galbraith, who's J.K. Rowling. Oh, okay. I love these books. Excellent. There's that many of them? There's going to be ten more, so buckle up. Oh, all right. I got to get on this then. <laughs> I was so excited. So it starts off with Cuckoo Calling, and mm. then there's book two, which I can't remember. Book three was Career of Evil, was on the edge of my seat, so interested in the what was going to happen with these characters. And I feel like it was very plot-driven, but also these two characters, Cormoran Strike and his assistant, um, Robin, or his business partner, are fascinating to me. They're flawed, and they're funny, and they are really three-dimensional. So then I dove right into book four, which takes a little bit of a turn, but the, the characters are still there, and we're sort of off and running in a new mysteries and that kind of thing. And then I think it was like three-quarters of the way through book four, I was looking at her you know, the Cormoran Strike series. And that's when I saw that she has 10 more books planned and that BBC has been making a mini series oh. out of these books for the past three years. Oh, well, I definitely have to read them now. Yes. So I watched one of the BBC, like the first... Oh, they're already out. Uh-huh. 2017. Oh, oh, well, then maybe I'll just watch them. <laughs> really well done. The characters were not that far off of what I had envisioned them to oh, be. And the her sense of place, you know, it takes place in London, is so solid and very descriptive, and BBC does such a great job with that anyway. Very much enjoying that, and it has been a great companion for my for the last two weeks for me. And then last night, I just finished Lost and Wanted. This is a book that I got through Book of the Month Club. The author is Nell Freudenberger, and you might see this around a little bit just because it seems like whenever Book of the Month Club releases something... It gets a little bit of traction. This book is very hard to describe. And I feel like when you were talking about flights, I'm kind of there with Lost and Wanted. The main character is an Harvard-educated, MIT-tenured uh, physicist. And her name is Helen. So go women in science. Her roommate from Harvard is a woman named Charlotte or Charlie. And she is a black... I'm trying to think of what her career would be. She was like an English major at Harvard, but then she went to L.A. and did film work. But she had lupus. And at the beginning of the book, she dies. 
And so the rest of the book deals concurrently with Helen grieving about Charlie's death and Charlie's family grieving with Charlie's death while also aligning with LIGO. Do you know what LIGO is? I don't. LIGO, I don't even know what the acronym is for, but it's those linear, they're not particle accelerators because they're like, there's three of them. They're for real. They are placed, there's like one in Washington, one in, I don't know if it's Nashville or, or Kentucky or Tennessee. And then there's another one in Europe somewhere. And they're these mile long receptors and they're collecting sound from space and they're real. Okay. So a few years ago, they actually received and collected a sound of like a black hole collapsing. I'm going to get this totally wrong. Um, Something spacey. Yes. And it was... Here's the scientific. <laughs> yes. I'm actually interested in this stuff. Oh, yeah. And I am so not a physicist or a scientist, but I'm curious. I'm curious about how we think up these things and you have to be really imaginative in order to you have to be very theoretical right Mm -hmm. to think about how would we even capture the sound and anyway so concurrent in this book there's like a team that's gathering data from these LIGO receptors Mm -hmm. and how that is you know that very big question these big universal questions are happening while she's grieving the death of one person. You know, it feels like very giant versus is she she involved with the LIGO at all? Like, Um, is there any connection? Her college boyfriend is somebody on the team. Okay, there's thousands of people on these LIGO teams. But I think that the science community is pretty tight knit, and the author does a good job of conveying that. I was sort of holding out for something a little bit magical about this grieving, like how, what's the connection here? I don't know how to categorize this book either, except that it it asks more questions than it answers in some ways. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of physicist jargon that you have to (laughs) muddle through. And that for me, as a layperson, I'm willing to do the work, but the main characters, like her bread and butter, was that she was a physicist who wrote for lay people. And every time she encountered another scientist, they would kind of diminish her ability to be a physicist in a physicist world mm. while conveying the stuff to lay people. And they were, they kind of looked down at, on her. You're for just that. a translator, you're not a writer. Yeah, in a way. But it also, by association, because I'm the lay people that they're talking about, was somewhat insulting, you know? So I don't really know how I feel about Mm. the book. And I don't know what I'm going to read next because I have to wait for J.K. Rowling to write the next (laughs) of the Cormoran Strike books. And I'm sure we can find you something else. Have you read the Kate Atkinson mystery ones? Started early, took the dog, or took the dog, started, yeah. I have read all of those. Not similar, or? Now that you mention it, they are pretty similar, but I... Because those are definitely mysteries. Yeah. But also very Very character-driven mysteries. Yeah. I think what the Cormoran Strike series does so well 
is presents us with unapologetically flawed characters. They feel really real. All right. Yeah. I will add I, that to my reading list. Well, the modern uh, Mrs. Darcy summer reading guide just came out, so maybe that'll have some ideas for you. That's true. I can't wait to peruse that. Have you looked at it yet? No, I just saw that it was available, and I need to check that out. But speaking a little segue into mm-hmm. On Your Mark. Speaking of. So we wanted to do something a little fun this summer, or what we think it's going to be fun. I don't know. Maybe you won't enjoy it, but <laughs> we hope you will. We're going to have a little Craft Cook Read Repeat Summer Bingo. So it'll start Memorial Day weekend. Let's give people the weekend, I think. So the Saturday before Memorial Day here in the U.S., which is next weekend. What? I know. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Declan has finals next week. So summer is coming, people. <laughs> Nicely, nicely ah, played. Yeah. If that's ending, winter is ending, and summer is coming. Um, and then we'll go through Labor Day. Gives people plenty of time, whole summer. Um, and so we've come up with a bingo card. We're still ironing out the details, and we'll we'll put it up. So we at the have same time. We have three categories yeah. on our bingo card: crafting ideas and prompts, reading ideas or prompts. And cooking and ideas. And cooking yeah. ideas. And so the idea is that you do as many of these things as speak to you, and hopefully you get a bingo row or fill up your whole card. And we'll be running it through Instagram. And then we have a little prize box at the end. Yes, if we get 10 entries. I think we'll have 10 entries. I think we'll have 10 entries. Because we're two. <laughs> we don't get to win. So, yeah, so we'll post up. So we've got things like we're trying to make it as open-ended as possible because we want as much participation. So finish a project that you've been working on. Um, read cooking a book. with fruit. Cooking with fruit, right? It's summer. We're going to cook with fruit. And it can be savory. It can be sweet. Whatever you want to do. Um, read a book that one of us has read. Read a non-traditional book. So something with poetry or a graphic novel or uh, short stories, something, something a little different. So there's a whole bunch of ideas in there to kind of and you'll get be able, you through the summer. You'll be able to find our craft, cook, read, repeat bingo card either on our craft, cook, read, repeat Instagram or on either one of ours, right? Sure, we can do that. Yeah. And you could probably also email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com and we can send you a printable version. Printable version. Um, and so the idea will have a hashtag CCRR 2019 summer bingo um, so if you want to post your progress on your card or things that you are applying you don't we're not going to be sticklers about this if you say you did something we will believe you uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know I, seeing photographic proof would be really fun so we'd like to yeah see what things you're working on and cooking and um and our idea is to hopefully get everyone out of their comfort zones try something new have fun enjoy your summer absolutely um, so yeah, so there's some vacation-y based things or, you know, it doesn't have to be that you're on vacation, something about vacation. Again, if you can make it work, we'll, we'd love to see it. So We're really flexible and yeah. creative. <laughs> and we think you are too, so. Absolutely. All right. Um, so start thinking about that. And we look forward to seeing all that. Um, we'll be back in two weeks. Make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye.
Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.